Untitled Georgia Bulldogs podcast, Ian Cartwright. I watched the dogs win the national championship game against Alabama by myself in a very small Washington, D.C. hotel room. And uh, I was very impressed. I was not expecting the game to go this way. Yeah, me, me too. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me that impressed me about Georgia was their, uh, their, their game plan switching and letting Stetson Bennett throw down the field. Um, you know, I didn't think they, I don't, I didn't think that he would go down that route of throwing deep. Uh, and he did. So I think that that was kind of the thing that impressed me the most, uh, especially his storyline too. just watching him go from, uh, you know, transferring in and, and being third on the depth chart to, uh, you know, making those big plays down the stretch for Georgia to win them their first national championship since 1980. I think that was huge, but, um, yeah, just an overall good performance from the Bulldogs. Uh, it was kind of a back and forth game, kind of slow in the first half too, but, uh, Pretty good stuff from them. What do you, what was what were some of your takeaways? Yeah, I really think this game uh, had the opportunity to get out of hand pretty fast for Georgia. You could definitely see that uh, Stetson Bennett was uh, was rattled early, and uh, you know there's a lot of credit that needs to go on Georgia's defense in this game, and rightfully so. I mean, it's littered with NFL players up and down, but I really think that this game for Georgia hinged on Stetson Stetson Bennett's ability to, you know, lead his team and overcome his own mistakes and uh, put the team on his back. And, you know, he, he delivered in the end. And I think that was really good, but I think my take, my takeaway from the jump was uh, when they, when they showed N'Kobe Dean at the beginning, going out for that coin toss, like that guy was locked in and just, I, I honestly saw him and I saw the look on his face. I'm like, Oh man, it's, this is going to be this is going to be a really yes. really tough game. And, he made uh, a, he made a number of great plays throughout the night as well. Yeah, and it was uh, obviously we have to mention that Jamison Williams went down in this game, and that kind of you know put a little damper on Alabama's chances just because of the the receivers and the routes that they were trying to run uh, later on in this game that they just didn't quite have the experience to execute it, and there was a lot being put on. Uh, Bryce Young's shoulders as mm-hmm. uh, Heisman Trophy winner, Bryce Young. But, um, you know, good for Georgia. That pick six really was the icing on the cake. Uh, it's funny that Kirby was telling him to go down in that situation, but uh, just a really good scene. And, you know, we we're kind of talking the, the on our last podcast about how it wasn't too exciting because it wasn't all SEC matchup. But, you know, this was – this was fun. It was good. To, it, all in all, it was good to see another another different team win a championship. And at the end of the day, the the euphoria that their fan base has gotten to experience, that's honestly what it's all about. So, yeah, 100 percent. You know, like I like I said earlier, you know, watch, just watching Stetson Bennett go through that moment at the end to, uh, you know, realizing his team won the game and that they were going to win. And you see him like dapping up all of the all of his teammates on the sideline and everybody's giving him hugs, like just really cool moment to see, um, you know, both these teams in, are, are in their own tier. You know, they're there's so much he- so much more ahead of all the other college football teams. Uh, and you, you definitely could see it on the TV. I mean, just like the speed of play and how big they were. It was like watching a semi-pro game, uh, especially as like a fan from, you know, a smaller school, just watching them, watching them play. It was like, you could really feel how far away a lot of other college football programs are from like playing at this sort of level, but um, just good game all around. It was interesting to see, like you said, this SEC matchup being played in Indianapolis. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, mm-hmm. 
but cool scene all around. Definitely good for the Bulldogs to, to win this. And, um, you know, they have a lot of momentum going forward. You know, they've had some great recruiting classes recently. So I don't think even though they're losing a lot of players to the draft, like uh, like Jordan Davis and Kobe Dean, uh, maybe even George Pickens, too. I'm not sure if he's coming back or not. Um, but even still losing that many players, I think they're going to be fine next year as well. Uh, they've had some strong recruiting classes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think this really was the top of the mountain for Georgia. Um, and I think they're one of the few teams that can, you know, celebrate this championship mm-hmm. with the understanding that they can feasibly get back. Obviously, um, when LSU won the championship with uh, Edward Drown and Joe Burrow and all those stars, uh, you kind of knew all those players were the reason why they had gotten that far. And all those players involved with that championship team were going to be going their separate ways after the season. And right. uh, LSU had really no feasible path back to the championship. But um, this Georgia team should be in the mix for the playoff next year. I right. think they're built They're built to – I think they're built to last where LSU kind of was a, a flash in the pan just because they had, they had the perfect storm. Right. But between – obviously, Alabama has shown that they can compete for championships year in and year out despite obvious uh, ta- talent uh, talent deficiencies uh, that, we, that we think they have where one quarterback leaves and you have one quarterback come in and – still light it up. Uh, so even in a down year, Bama has shown that they can get uh, to the playoff, but between these two teams, which, which of them do you think is more likely to be in the playoff next year? It could be both of them again, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's easy. To, it's easy to say both of them, but I think if I had to choose between one of them, I'd say Alabama, just because we know the stability there at quarterback, um, you know, just with Bryce Young staying and, and coming off of his Heisman season. And even though a lot of people didn't like uh, him winning the Heisman or it, maybe it felt underwhelming, uh, he still had 40 touchdowns and four interceptions this year. And I mean, he did play really, really well. Um, and, you know, he he did lose Mechie down the stretch and obviously lost Jamison Williams. But I think a full offseason uh, for him again and a lot of those receivers that are still there coming back I think uh, I think Bama will be right back in the mix and we've always seen what Bama does after they come back from a big loss uh, they'll rebound they'll be fine um, but you know if I could say both I'd say both I think George is going to be right there with him too um, I think this is the matchup we see in the SEC championship game potentially next year but the only question is you know um, how does some of the other SEC teams come into the fold as well you know we talked about it before but you know a team like Texas A&M that is recruiting at an extremely high level uh, is next year the year for them Um, so it's going to be an interesting you know year in the SEC but I'd have to say Alabama what about you yeah I think Alabama as well Uh, I think Georgia had a very good the the very a very good benefit of having an amazing defense to back up their offense, which was, you know, figuring it out for large portions of the right. games against Alabama. You know, Stetson uh, had a great game against Michigan in the semifinals. But uh, if that if this was any other team playing against Alabama, it was that defense that, you know, kept them in, in these games. And so all those defensive pieces are leaving, and I feel like mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot more pressure on Georgia's offense next year to take that next step. And I truthfully don't believe that, you know, we can celebrate Stetson Bennett all day long and what he's accomplished. And it's a great story and all that. But I, you know, Stetson is coming back for another year. JT Daniels has entered the transfer portal. Um, 
I honestly think for the good of Stetson Bennett and his own legacy and the the well-being of the Georgia program, you know, he should he should retire right now, honestly. Yeah. You know, I feel like next year when he loses the starting job, it's going to be ugly and people are going to turn on him. You know, he'll never pay for a drink in Athens or Georgia in his life. But I just kind of feel, it, you know, it was kind of like the Coach O thing, like, you know, you won your you won your title, and in order for us to get back here, it's probably not going to be with you. And so right. I, I feel like there needs to be another quarterback under center for Georgia next year for the you know for the sake of the program and you know continuing to compete for championships. And I feel like with more pressure on Stetson Bennett next year, um, you know, if maybe they lost this game, he's a little more motivated. But I kind of feel like this is a title that he'll be kind of right. basking in for a while. And I feel like that is going to, it, it won't motivate him as much as a loss would have. And so I just, I, I, Georgia still has a clear ceiling with him at, at the quarterback position and they were able to, you know, break through that this year, but I just don't think that kind of thing can carry. Yeah. I mean, even, and we haven't really seen where all these transfer quarterbacks are landing, but like imagine a scenario where like Caleb Williams transfers to Georgia. Um, you know, yeah. right. And then, you know, since Bennett comes back in the fall and he's like, Hey, this is my job. I just won a natty. Like we're, we're, we're competing for it, you know, like kind of like putting that hat on. Uh, I think you're right. I think it, it could get very, uh, very ugly. And that's not to mention as well that Georgia has a, has a couple high four-star quarterbacks uh, a little lower on their depth chart that have just recently committed in like, I think the 20 and 21 cycle. So uh, there's yeah. talent that's going to be there. I think it's got to be one of those guys, whether it's, uh, I think his name's Brock Vandegrift. Or yeah. One of Brock Vandegrift is the one I'm thinking of. Yep. Um, but yeah. I think, I think, I think they're in a good spot now to kind of transition to that next, uh, that next phase of being like a perennial powerhouse program uh, that we think they can be. So I think they'll be back as well. It's just, it's hard to, it's hard to say Georgia over Alabama just because of that quarterback position. Yeah, absolutely. So we have officially closed the books on our 2021 college football season. Georgia is your national champion. Now we're heading into the off season, which is honestly a very good time of the year because it's the talking season where everybody yep. can talks to themselves that, okay, we, we start looking at, uh, full season results and telling ourselves, you know, what maybe was true and what was false about a lot of teams. And uh, I like this because we're going to be talking about uh, teams going into 2022. We're going to be talking about the draft and it's, there's, there's a lot of conversations that we're going to get to have and yeah. about that. So that's the we, beauty of the off season. Like every conversation can be fun. You know, like, I feel yeah. like in, in the season, you're like, you're locked into that, like week by week, what's happening. Right. You know, you're, you're, you're keeping up more so than you're able to talk about things that are fun. Um, and we can speculate now we can look forward in the future and predict and, you know, talk about a lot of stuff that's probably not going to happen, but it's fun uh, and it's cool to do. So I'm excited for the off season. Yeah. Uh, our podcast and our position, you know, kind of in the sport is unique because, you know, we we're consuming media along with everybody else. And, you know, we're looking at those way too early top 25s, and we're looking at those articles that are starting to, you know, talk about teams going into 2022. And so I feel like we're not in a position to make our own bold 
hot takes for 2022, but I feel like we can predict what other people are going to make their hot takes, which, which I like because it kind of protects us from, you know, getting things wrong. Cause we just kind of predict, predict what other people are going to predict. Um, right. So, uh, let's kind of do like a surface level analysis of uh, storylines that we're going to be watching and uh, what you, what you think other people and what you're, you're specifically focused on for 2022. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can, we can just start from the top. So the first one is Cam Ward uh, going to Washington state. Uh, he is the transfer from incarnate incarnate word uh, very strange college, but uh, I believe they're in like the, they're in like the Texas Christian D two conference. Is that right? Yeah. yeah they're, um, they're FCS. Right. They're FCS. Um, he was a very high rated transfer because 24 seven does their like transfer ratings. I think he was like uh, one of the top five, I believe uh, quarterbacks in the transfer portal for a while. Um, he had an offer from Ole Miss, but I think that might've fallen through um, had an offer from Virginia tech as well. And then he ended up going to Washington state. So um, he was a hot commodity for sure. Early on in the quarterback cycle, it's going to be interesting to see uh, where he's going to be going. Um and then also we just mentioned Caleb Williams. Uh, he's still out there, but Caleb Williams has also said that part of the reason why he entered in the transfer portal was just to see the, uh, the NIL offers from other schools. Um, like he literally explicitly said that, which means that he possibly could just stay at Oklahoma. Um, and that's, that's definitely a possibility as well. So I think, I think we could just talk about Cam Ward first. Um, you know, with Washington being in the state that they're in, is this an opportunity for Cam Ward to kind of recapture the state at Washington State? Yeah, I, I totally think so. And uh, I forget who from Incarnate Word came over there. I, I'm guessing it's the offensive coordinator. I think it's the offensive coordinator. And so Washington State is going to be doing the the Houston Baptist to Western Kentucky move that we saw in 2021 with Bailey Zappi coming from HBU and absolutely lighting it up at WKU mm -hmm. becoming what we believe to be a first, second, third, high, a high draft pick. And so it's Washington state is an interesting place to go. Uh, the interesting thing about Washington state is that amidst all their chaos this year with coach Rolovich getting fired because of his vaccination status and uh, just having all those off off the field issues within the program, they still did very good. They hired their interim uh, head coach, Jake Dicker, and now he's the full-time head coach. And they held up well in, in his uh, under his leadership. And so I feel like this isn't necessarily the case of a team starting from scratch, kind of like Western Kentucky was when they brought in um, all those transfers. And so I feel like there is something that Washington State can – build off of whether, you know, obviously it's the other sides of the ball. Obviously the offense is going to be the big change in 2022, but I feel like there's a foundation there with uh, Dicker and his staff that um, the Cougs can build off of in 2022. And I haven't looked at their schedule, but I'm optimistic that, you, like you said, with Washington being in the position that they are uh, rebuilding as well, Washington State is definitely going to be going to be looked at in 2022 with who they have on their roster. Yeah, of course. Uh, now setting you up for your for your own team. Um, you know, we've seen two quarterbacks at Michigan this past year, J.J. McCarthy and Cade McNamara. Uh, now going into next year, uh, what, what are we expecting to see, you know, in terms of that battle for QB1? Yeah, I think the quarterback battle at Michigan is going to be one of the hot uh, 
hot topics of the whole offseason. And there's going to probably be a lot of back and forth on who's leading that competition. But I feel like the writing is on the wall for J.J. McCarthy to take over that starting job um, mm-hmm. this fall in 2022. And so I think it's going to be a a very big story. But I do expect McCarthy to come out on top in that in that race. But that's really probably going to be the, the big the big news out of the Big Ten whenever uh, a decision is made on that quarterback. And uh, another team in the Big Ten that I'm a little curious about is, uh, you know, honestly, kind of the whole, you know, the other, the second tier of the Big Ten in general, uh, outside of, you know, Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, uh, possibly Penn State. Uh, I'm looking at Minnesota and, uh, you know, Mo Ibrahim, who is Minnesota's star running back who got injured in week one against Ohio State. Um, is coming back for another season. And so I wonder how he's going to look next year. But I kind of wonder maybe, you know, Minnesota has, they had their 10-win season. They've had a couple down years. They're still making bowl games. But I wonder if like Minnesota could maybe jump back up with the talent that they have. I'm just kind of watching that from from a distance to see how Minnesota is going to look next year. And Maryland too, uh, the way that Maryland played in their bowl game, I feel like Maryland is going to be, a team that a lot of uh, people talk themselves into because of how they ended the season and because of who they have uh, under center for them. Yeah, no, I completely agree, especially about the Maryland thing. They've been recruiting actually like extremely well uh, over these past couple of years. And they have like a better quarterback than most big 10 teams have. Um, and quarterback play is like a huge thing in college football. And, um, you know, if Talia plays well next year, you know, you could be talking about Maryland being in like, uh, you know, a sleeper tier of the Big Ten where they could, you know, knock off some teams, even potentially play for, um, you know, be up there with the big dogs, especially earlier in the season. So um, I completely agree there, especially with the stuff about Minnesota. Like, I think Minnesota's in an interesting spot because uh, that side of the Big Ten is kind of up for grabs. Uh, Wisconsin just lost their uh, offensive line coach, Joe Rudolph, to Virginia Tech, which is great for me. Uh, awesome stuff there. Um, and then Nebraska is kind of like, we don't really know there what's going to happen uh, in terms of them getting better. Iowa is kind of hit or miss. Uh, they're, you know, they're good, but we haven't seen them play at an elite level. So I think this is like an opportunity for Minnesota to take that next step. Uh, and they can do that with, you know, Mo coming back and, you know, an improved offense. So you're totally on point there. Um, let's talk about Spencer Rattler real quick. Um, you know, now he's going to South Carolina. Do you think this is a good spot for him to be in? Yeah, I think it is because, he is going into a new environment, but, you know, kind of like we talked about Washington state um, Spencer is going into a situation where the team around him already has momentum. Uh, You know, Shane Beaver was kind of the South Carolina was the first team to uh, enter the coaching carousel last year when they fired Will Muschamp and they ended up with Shane Beamer. And at the time it was kind of like, okay, well, we kind of see what you're doing there, but I don't think anybody expected uh, South Carolina to show the results that they did in uh, Beamer's first year. And so, you know, I think uh, Carolina goes into 2022 with p- perhaps too much momentum right off the bat. Uh, maybe it could kind of be like a North Carolina in 2021 that we saw where they were hyped up at the beginning of the year a little too much and couldn't uh, handle the weight of those preseason expectations. But I feel like South Carolina as a program has momentum and it's a good time for them to get a star quarterback in here. And we, we think, we think Spencer Rattler can be very good. And so if he can, if he can play like he did 
at Oklahoma in 2020, if that Spencer Rattler shows up in Columbia, I feel like South Carolina will be a very fun team. They might just with the SEC and um, the competitive competitiveness of the league, it's not going to be like when he was at Oklahoma and they were easily able to win the league. Right. You know, South Carolina could post a similar record to this year. I think they went seven and six and yep. it could still be an improvement. There could be a lot more uh, videos in the highlight reels for them, but I feel I feel like South Carolina is a team that we definitely will be talking about a lot more in the offseason. And uh, to that, and uh, Tennessee, too. Hendon Hooker is coming back. Uh, yep. Tennessee showed a lot of progress in Josh Heupel's first year. And so I'm excited about them just because when they hired Josh Heupel, it was kind of uh, underwhelming, I suppose, yeah. uh, with the way uh, with the way that they went, went about that coaching search and ended up with Heupel. But as we've seen... The, uh, the underwhelming names have kind of succeeded in the SEC. You talk about Sam Pittman, Shane Beamer, you know, Josh Heupel is, is right there in that conversation too now. And so I kind of wonder if Tennessee can keep it going in 2022 and keep showing progress with the uh, hooker uh, quarterbacking the offense again. Oh yeah. hundred percent agree. Uh, and, and back on that notion about South Carolina, I think it's going to be very interesting with Spencer Rattler because um, you know, it's definitely like a prove it year for him. And he put himself in, you know, arguably a, a much more difficult situation, you know, going from like the Big 12, uh, playing in Oklahoma, which is a very quarterback friendly situation, uh, playing against a lot of defenses that allow you to look better than you may, than you may actually be, uh, to playing in the SEC where you're playing against, you know, top tier defenses every week. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, he comes back from all the scrutiny uh, and all the overhypedness about, you know, the Heisman and everything um, he's going to have to prove it. And I think he's, I think he knows that. I think that's why he w- went to a South Carolina. And I think, you know, he's got the opportunity and the platform now to do something cool. So it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back. But I do believe that Tennessee is one of those like up and coming teams in the sec. And I feel like what's weird about the sec, as much as we shit on the sec for being annoying, it seems like every team we talk about in the sec is up and coming, uh, with, yeah. with the with the with the exception of maybe Florida, uh, who we're not sold on yet with Billy Napier. I mean, you could even argue yourself into saying that Florida's up and coming, um, but it just seems like you know you talk about Arkansas, you know Texas A and M, uh, you know Kentucky, uh, Tennessee, South Carolina, like all these teams that have been like middle of the pack for so long. Like there are really cool stuff that they're doing. Uh, they're moving up. They're doing well. So uh, the SEC is going to be interesting next year. Um, and I, and I'm really honed in on both those teams. Yeah. I'm looking at South Carolina's schedule and I'm honestly kind of, I think they're definitely going to be hot early. Uh, they start with Georgia state. They go to Arkansas week three is interesting because Georgia comes to town. And if, you know, we were just talking about Georgia with that defense being a little weaker and offense, uh, probably going to be in transition as well. Are we already talking ourselves into Georgia getting upset at South Carolina in week three? And that could be. That could be absolutely huge. I mean, just think about that. Like week three or, you know, late week three, late September, Spencer Rattler lights up Georgia. Like that is an absolute storyline. Yeah. And so I think this, this schedule is shaping up to me uh, looking like, you know, they they get Texas A&M at home. They have to go to Florida. They get Tennessee at home. They have to go to Clemson. I think this team is going to start probably five and one and everybody's going to be talking about them and they're, they're probably going to lose maybe yeah. three, three, four games down the stretch and fade, but I it's it, their schedule totally shapes up to be 
the perfect um, the perfect schedule for an overhyped preseason team. Oh yeah, I completely agree. It's gonna be it's gonna be exactly how you said about them being like a little a mini uh, a mini UNC who they you know just yeah. happened to beat a couple weeks ago in a bowl game. Yeah, because um, they because they open with Georgia State, then it's Arkansas, which probably Arkansas wins. It's then it's Georgia, but then it's Charlotte, South Carolina State, and then at Kentucky. So I feel like those are all winnable games. And then you go into your bye, and then you play AM at home. But it here we are. We're talking ourselves mm-hmm. in alone. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, I do want to mention LSU real quick, just with Brian Kelly. Like, I don't think I don't really know what they're going to do. I don't really know what they're going to be, but I think it's going to be interesting either way. Like I think they're going to be on the front page of sports center uh, multiple weeks next year, just because of like the ridiculousness that's going on there, whether it's them winning or it's them losing, like it's going to be interesting. Um, And then the really, I feel feel like the Alabama LSU game in 2022 is going to be ugly. It's going to be bloody. I feel like it's, I just, you know, obviously we talk about, you know, Brian Kelly being at Notre Dame and, you know, he doesn't quite have the recruiting uh, power to compete with the Alabamas and the Clemsons of the world. And now there he is at LSU and, and his year one life. I just, I, I have a bad feeling about how this is going to go for him. At least that first mm-hmm. year he can show progress, but I feel like against the big boys, it's going to be a humbling for him. Oh, I completely agree. It's going to be a, it's going to be a big wake up call or, He's going to somehow just blow everybody out of the water and it's going to be really interesting, um, which I don't see happening. But if that does happen, that'd be crazy. Um, I do want to talk about real quick uh, Tyler Van Dyke at Miami. Uh, Miami was an absolute dumpster fire this past season for like the first like six weeks. Uh, and uh, it was very apparent that Manny Diaz was going to be fired. And and then uh, Tyler Van Dyke came in and actually played some really good football down the stretch for Miami. Uh, for multiple weeks, tying together some great games. Um, And he was a high four-star coming out of high school. I think he can be a very good player, and he was a very good player for for most of his time last season. Uh, And now he has Cristobal as head coach, and Miami's gaining some steam. Um, I did read today that, you know, a lot of, like, athletic writers are very high on him going into next season, being in the mix with some of the other top quarterbacks. So um, I think Tyler Van Dyke is just a name to, like, remember, just keep in the back of your head. You know, he's somebody that could, uh, you know, take the ACC over and be kind of that, like, that guy that comes out of nowhere, kind of like a Sam Hartman or like a Kenny Pickett in a way, Um, although he's, you know, much younger than those players were when they um, when they came up. So just wanted to mention that one. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like uh, LSU and Miami are kind of in that same category. Yeah, they're both like could go well, could go bad. We're going to be watching either way. Hundred percent. Do you have any uh, predictions on where people are going to be focusing their eyeballs? In terms of what? In terms of uh, college football storylines, who who do you think the big? Uh, who do you think the next G five darling is going to be? Do you think there's going to be a new coach? Mm next year or do you think uh, a team like from the mountain west maybe maybe san diego state makes that jump well, who do you think there's going to be another team from that next tier that we fall in love with or is it going to be the normal suspects um it's hard to say i think i feel like it's going to be the normal suspects um i do want to mention san diego state um just because they got braxton burmeister who was the coach who was the quarterback from uh, virginia tech 
And he played pretty well when he played for Tech, but he just wasn't big enough and he was banged up the entire season. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe San Diego State is that team. Um, that's just one off the top of my head. But what about you? You got any that you're thinking about? Yeah, I'm kind of looking at uh, the new Sun Belt and those teams coming in because I think I saw a report today that, you know, Old Dominion and uh, Southern Miss and Marshall and James Madison, I think, are exploring options to join the league this year. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of a old, uh, closet Old Dominion podcast over here. And so, you know, maybe it's them making a jump in uh, in 2022. But uh, another team I'm looking at is uh, South Alabama. I just kind of feel like with where they're at uh, ge- geographically and uh, the way that they've built up their program, I believe his name is Kane Womack is the coach there who was an offensive uh, coordinator at Indiana. He had a, they had a decent year in uh, his first year. And so I feel like they could be the next Sunbelt program to take a step, but I do feel like um, the G five is going to be revolving around the Sunbelt these yes. next few years. It does feel like the Sunbelt is a lot stronger. Obviously the American is going to have some turnover with teams like um, UTSA, North Texas coming in, but I just, I, I feel a different way about the Sun Belt in terms of competitiveness, um, you know, top to bottom in that league. And so I'm interested mm-hmm. to see how competitive that league is in 2022. Um, Central Michigan, we have to mention, finished off their season with a Sun Bowl victory. Maybe they make the next step in the MAC. Nobody really were able, was able to separate themselves in the MAC. You know, by the time everybody enters league play in the MAC, everybody's got two or three losses because the non conference schedule is always so tough. So, Yep. Um, maybe I mean, real in reality, Central Central was one kick away from you know winning the MAC. Yeah, one field goal away from from winning the MAC and and being the the, the MAC team that we all that we talk about. So um, yeah. I think, and and that's really contingent on uh, on who comes back for them next year. Um, you know, if 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 McElwain comes back, if Lou Nichols comes back, I think this team uh, could still be good, but. Um, those play, those players and coaches could definitely leave. So we're just going to have to be watching for that. Yeah, absolutely. And so the other thing that I am wondering about in, you know, the G5 is how Cincinnati is going to transition to the big 12. Like is Cincinnati going to be right back here in the playoff conversation or how big, like, I think they're going to take a step back, but how big is that step going to be backwards? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, it's really, I think it's really dependent on how, what their offense is going to look like. Like, I feel like, uh, they, I feel like they have the depth at a G five level right now to reload quickly, but it's just going to, it's just going to, it's just going to have to be the offense that pulls them. And I'm not really sure who their next quarterback is going to be and if they're going to be able to hold it as well as Ritter did. So, um, I'm expecting them to take a slight step back, but I don't know how big that step's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that we should point out is we're going to be doing a separate podcast where we break down the uh, top 10 or so college football games that shaped the season. Not so much the best games of the season, but the, the games that had the most influence on how the season played out. So we're going to be recording that in a separate podcast and uh, uploading it to our feed. But let's transition to the NFL playoffs, Super Wild Card Weekend just finished up. We are going into the divisional round of the playoffs. Uh, 
lots of games to talk about, both games that happened over the weekend and uh, looking forward to the games this weekend. Uh, biggest takeaway for me from Super Wildcard Weekend is that the AFC side of the bracket suddenly seems super exciting. I feel like a lot of what we talked about during the regular season was that the AFC was just a churn. There was kind of a team of the week every week, whereas the NFC side was a little more competitive and we kind of knew who the top three teams were. But with the, with the way that the AFC is shaken out with uh, Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati, maybe not Tennessee, but with the teams that are still left on the AFC side, um, I feel like they're all pretty hot and it didn't seem like it was going to be like that most of the regular season. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, you're left with now, uh, you know, the Bengals, Titans, Chiefs, and Bills, and all four of those teams are very interesting right now, especially with the Titans getting Derrick Henry back. Uh, you know, the Chiefs being, I guess, good again and the Bills putting the game the game together that they had against the Patriots. I mean, all these teams are exciting to watch. They have great quarterback play, uh, lots of great weapons, good defenses like they're just fun, exciting teams. Um, it's shaping up to be a very good race in the AFC. Yeah. So let's start with that Cincinnati game. Obviously, a super fun night in Cincinnati with the Bengals finally getting over that playoff hump. And we were texting about it. And we were talking about it, like, uh, you know, the euphoria that you experienced and, you know, kind of similar to me with that Michigan Ohio state game, the, uh, the relief of getting over that hump and realizing that what's on the other side is a actual opportunity to compete for a championship is a really cool feeling. Right? No, a hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's just like uh, the way I described it to my mom, because she doesn't understand football and like to my girlfriend too. And they ask like, you know, why does it mean so much? It's like, you know, we hear all the time with Burrow, like, oh, this is a guy that can win a, win a Super Bowl. Like, this is a guy that can win for Cincinnati, bring home the championship. And like, I would hear those things all the time. You'd even see it on Sports Center, and you'd hear it from media outlets. But I, it, it wasn't like I couldn't believe it because we were drowning. Like, in order to get to that point, we have to win a playoff game first. Like, we have to get over the hump before I can start thinking about Burrow winning a championship. Like I can't do that yet. Cause we have a curse that we haven't broken and we've seen it fail so many times. Like we haven't seen them win in the playoffs. Um, and then they go out this past weekend and they do it. Uh, they do it in dramatic fashion in front of the high, the biggest crowd that's ever been at Prowlbound stadium for any game while it's been open. Um, and uh, it's just like, I almost don't know how to feel now because it's like, okay, we did it, but we're still here. We're playing this weekend. Um, and we're two games away from the Super Bowl. So, um, and, you know, this team, the mentality that Burrow has, um, it's like nothing I've ever seen. It doesn't even feel like I'm watching the Bengals, to be honest. Like, I feel I feel like almost like spoiled now as a fan to be watching. Like, I don't feel like, yeah. I'm, like I'm worthy of watching uh, this team play at this such a high level. Um, and, you know, the game – I wanted it to be a blowout at first. Like I wanted the Bengals to just, just blow them out, just make yep. it stop, make it up. But, it, but I feel like it had to end like that. Like, I feel like the roller yeah. coaster had to be like that. Uh, it had to it come had down to, to the last play. Cause yep. you had to, that, that doubt had to be creeping in at the, at the end of this game where you're like, Oh, yes. here we go again. Yep. And Point. so I feel like for them, for Cincinnati to have the opportunity to blow the game and have them win is truly what is going to get them over the hump and get that stank off them. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I think, you know, moving forward now, 
after that game, I think the Bengals are in a spot to be, you know, like a perennial playoff team uh, that can make runs. Um, yep. And, you know, they did it with Burrow being sacked at like the highest rate in the NFL. And I think, you know, solidifying an offensive line, you know, the possibilities really are endless there. Um, so, you know, big, huge win for the Bengals. Um, anybody who downplays the win uh, versus the Raiders, um, they're really just like haters because to be honest, like beating a curse like that is incredibly difficult. Like it doesn't matter what team you're playing against in the playoffs, like playoff wins are hard to get. Yeah. Um, those games are hard to win. Um, so they, they deserved it. Um, it was a good win. And that's really it from there. I do want to say like props to the Raiders though, for enduring like the storm of a season that they had and making it yeah. to the playoffs. Um interim head coach and, and everything Derek Carr like played his ass off and made some like incredible throws late in the game. Um, and Darren Waller's an absolute monster as well. So good for them. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we didn't get the opportunity to talk about how the Raiders got here at the uh, end of the season with that crazy Los Angeles, uh, Las Vegas uh, overtime game that almost ended in a tie, which mm-hmm. was both teams to the playoffs. And um, you know, the Raiders win that game. They make it to the playoffs. Obviously, they lose in this game. But I feel like because of the way that that game specifically went, that puts Vegas in the second, uh, this in this in the two spot in the AFC West. And I feel like it's because we have seen how good Justin Herbert is, but there might be other factors in LA that hold that team back despite his greatness. And I think that was on display in this L uh, this Los Angeles, Las Vegas game with the game management by um, Brandon Staley, but right. Derek, all uh, credit to Derek Carr. You know, he's really kind of put this team on his back and, you know, he's had to stand under a microphone when John Gruden was fired when Henry Ruggs was involved in that DUI and he's had to be here all season and take those questions and talk about all these things. And so I like Derek Carr uh, as a quarterback. I think he needs his top target to not be Hunter Renfro. And then obviously, you know, in this game, I just was looking at the wide receiver talent on Cincinnati. I'm like, man, if the Raiders had one of these guys, this would be a completely different game. And then I realized, you know, they did have that guy and that guy's in jail now. So right. I feel like the Raiders definitely need to invest uh, some of their draft capital into some skill talent on the offensive side of the ball to complement uh, Josh Jacobs in the backfield. I feel like a Debo Samuel type player could really um, do a lot for this team in this offense. Uh, so maybe maybe a Wandell Robinson type guy from Kentucky. I feel like uh, the Raiders are not as far away from uh, being a perennial playoff contender as one may think. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, and this is the perfect draft for that, right? Because you have so many high, like you have so many high value wide receivers in this draft class um, that you're going to be sitting pretty nice uh, where they're at. You know, I think they're 19 or maybe 20 in uh, picking right now. I'd have to double check, but uh, that's perfect for drafting wide receivers. They can sit right there and just kind of take whoever drops them. I mean, they might be even in a position to take a Jamison Williams, but after the Henry Rugg situation being from Bama, like, I don't know if they would, you know, take another Bama wide receiver. I was just thinking about that too, because he kind of seems like the, the right fit for, you know, skill, uh, skill talent on offense. And yeah, about oh well 
Well, with, I feel like maybe with the amount of bullshit that's been going around the organization, um, which is players getting arrested and, you know, uh, the DB Damon Arnett holding a gun on camera and getting and getting fired for that. Um, I think they're going to be I think they're going to be drafting much differently than they have been. Yeah. And speaking of drafting for the Raiders, they did uh, fire Mike Mayock. As yeah. GM. So there will be yep. a new Yep, um, exactly. So yep. new new days in, in Vegas, but um, I think they're going to be back. I think they're going to be a relevant team, but it's going to be tough for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, looking forward to talk. They're going to be – we're going to have so much content when it comes to draft season. Um, let's talk about the Bills-Patriots game. Uh, a lot of the hype and talk leading up to this game was obviously – that first game between these two teams where the Patriots only passed the ball three times and were able to beat the Bills in Buffalo. Uh, this game was nothing like that game. It was a lot colder, but Buffalo was a lot hotter. So mm-hmm. um, big takeaway for me in this game was a lot of people were dunking on Craig Bull in Wyoming for you know not being able to maximize Josh Allen's talents when he was there. And I just kind of feel like we've seen enough anomalies in the draft process with players at every position to kind of, I feel like we're past this because at some point it just comes down to your evaluation of players and talents. And, you know, sometimes you hit and sometimes you don't, but like, we've got to stop this. This guy's too short. This guy doesn't have the right arm because there every, there are always going to be players that slip through the cracks and like, even with as analytics heavy as the NFL and sports are nowadays, like you're always going to have guys like this that come out of nowhere and totally tear it up. So, you know, good for Josh Allen, good for Buffalo. Uh, You know, that, that first new England game they played continues to fall off in terms of relevance, but you know, this game is unique in multiple ways just because this Buffalo is now a perennial playoff contender, but the way that they beat this team and who they beat is more interesting to me because new England right. is not used to being in this position. So obviously we should be talking about Script the bills has flipped. Yep. Yeah. We, we should be talking about the bills in this situation because they have, they, I think they have gotten over the Patriots hump a couple of times in the last two years, but now this is officially kind of like, okay, we're both in the playoffs, but we're going to, we're going to keep going. You guys have a good off season. And so yeah. I feel like there's a lot to talk about on both sides of the ball in this game. No, 100%. Congrats on making it, but we're the top dogs in the East now, and and we're going to let you know. Um, the Bills look really good, and I and I just want to say, like, I think it's pretty funny that, like, the Bills just kept on scoring over and over. Like, just, like, the game is over, and they're just, they're just like, no, you guys have tormented us for 20 years. Like, we're going to embarrass you on television right now. Like, it's okay. Don't worry. We're just going to keep scoring. Um, I do want to say that interception by Micah Hyde was absolutely insane. Like him coming from center field on a play that like no safety should be able to make um, that it was just, I think it was probably one of the best interceptions I've seen all season um, in the corner of the end zone, but yeah, great stuff from the bills. I'm excited for them to play against the chiefs this weekend. I think that's a great game. Uh, and I'm, and I'm really excited for that one. Yeah. If you're, if you're a bills fan, and you've been tailgating all day in the cold. Uh, game kicks off super cold. And the Bills pull away in this game like they did. Are you staying? Are you staying there? Or are you like, it's cold. We're going to win this game. I'm going to go warm up. Like, what would you do in that situation? Because obviously this is a big deal to a lot of people. And it looks like everybody opted on the side of, I'm going to fucking stay. 
and watch this team win. But what do you think? Um, I mean, that's that's what that's what fans want to do, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I would do the same thing. So, I don't really, yeah. I don't really know. What about you? What's your take? I would pro- I'd probably stay too. Yeah, you just have to in that situation. Yeah. yeah, I'm not showing up unless I'm layered off. So. Oh yeah, you have to be, especially if yeah. you're, especially if you're up north like that. Um, Bucks Eagles. Let's just talk about this real quick. Uh, I mean, there's really nothing to talk about here. Uh, Eagles were a team that definitely did not look like they deserved to be in the playoffs. Uh, that was pretty much all this game looked like to me. Uh, Eagles offense was terrible. They couldn't really do anything. Uh, really, the only storyline from this game is just Tristan Worth being injured. Um, that was kind of the big thing. And with the Buccaneers moving forward, like that might be a big thing for them if he uh, if he is not healthy and not 100% ready to go. So uh, especially with their impending matchup against a very good Rams D-line. Yeah, I, I feel like there was a lot of talk chatter in this game about, you know, maybe Jalen Hurts isn't the guy for the Eagles. And so I really feel like that is something that the Eagles need to explore in this offseason because they have the draft capital to invest in him. Uh, they have the Dolphins pick, they have the Colts pick, and they have their own pick in the draft, which has set them up at 15, 16, and 19 in uh, this year's draft. So uh, obviously we kind of thought maybe the Dolphins pick was going to be a little higher, but um, three picks in the first round, I think is good for any team. If you're looking to, uh, to grow your offense and invest in your quarterback or, uh, you, or they could use it as draft capital and move him and bring in another guy. So uh, interesting off season for the Eagles. Uh, mm-hmm. This uh, was won very early on the Bucks got out to a big lead and then the Eagles scored their 15 points uh, late in the game to make the margin look a little more impressive, but yeah, nothing really to take away from this game. Uh, be interesting to see, uh, really looking forward to the Bucks uh, Rams game. So yeah. let's move on to kind of the headliner of wildcard weekend, uh, Dallas Cowboys, San Francisco 49ers. I did not watch the beginning of this game, but I did watch the end. Holy smokes. Yeah, wild game. Uh, the <clears throat> the 49ers came out pretty hot, and uh, the Cowboys were pretty slow for pretty much this entire game. Uh, Dak looked a little off, and then in the fourth quarter, uh, it ramped up. It really started with that Jimmy G interception that he threw. Uh, I don't know if you were tuned in by that point, but uh, he threw an interception in the fourth quarter to the Cowboys, and and that kind of flipped the momentum uh, for the Cowboys to, to go down uh, and score and uh, make the game more interesting. And it really came down to sort of the last possession uh, and, and uh, just an, uh, just an awesome game. There was that, uh, that last conversion uh, for the, for the 49ers when they got the first down off that reverse that they ran uh, was absolutely huge. And then, you know, obviously the Cowboys only got the ball back with like 40 seconds or something like that. Uh, and they couldn't do enough with it, but what was, what was sort of your take on that very last play with Dak Prescott and the ref and like the ref running yeah. over and like, and like running him over and then like they couldn't get the ball snapped. Yeah. Honestly, like I get the play call, you know, they had just thrown, I think it was two passes in a row to the sideline. They had gained a significant amount of yards on those plays and the way that, San Francisco set up their DBs uh, was uh, right along the sidelines in that next play. And so uh, San Francisco was, you know, probably expecting them to throw another uh, pass the sideline. And so I could see what Dak was thinking there. I don't know if he thought he could make a break all the way to the end zone or if he was like when he, when he was deciding, okay, I'm either going to 
commit and try and make it all the way, or I have to, with the time and the, having to spike the ball, I have to have a hard stop at some point during this run. I've got, I've got mm-hmm. a clock at some point. And so I feel like, you know, maybe he slid a little too much and that was what affected the timing as well. But um, I, I really don't like, I mean, I don't really know if it was the refs in the situation, but just, I mean, you know, we, we have all these tools in sports to tell us where the ball should be spotted, uh, how fast players are going and all this stuff. And yet we always end up having situations like this where there's, there's chaos, there's miscommunications, there's pointing fingers Mm -hmm. and there's people upset. And so, um, I, I don't know if you can um, you can completely eliminate this from the sport. Honestly, it's plays and situations like this that make the game more fun. Uh, neither of us are Cowboys fans, so we could say that. I mean, it was a entertaining way to watch the game end. And uh, I honestly feel like uh, Tony Romo and Jim Nance being on, on the call on this uh, made the end of the game better. You know, usually when you're watching uh, big conse- consequential plays, you just kind of want the announcer to tee it up for you and then experience it in real time without any commentary. But, you know, Nance and Romo's back and forth in those final moments of them trying to figure out what was going on. Like, I feel like they don't take away from the game like other commentators do when they're talking over big moments. And so I feel like they're the only broadcast team with the chemistry to um, actually do that. And I, I enjoyed listening to them uh, digest what was going on on the field in Dallas. And I, I enjoyed that aspect of it as well. But um, yep, Cowboys, Cowboys are in an interesting spot. Like they could very well fire Mike McCarthy after this game. And uh, I feel yeah. like maybe they should, you know, Kellen Moore is, is getting head coaching buzz right now. And so is uh, their DC Dan Quinn. So like if those people leave, who <laughs> I, I don't really see how Mike McCarthy is a part of the solution uh, yep. for Dallas. And this, so- this, okay. What I, I'm going to, I'm going to equate this Dallas Cowboys team to the early uh, 2010s uh, Cincinnati Bengals teams for the reason of the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinators were being poached by other teams. Um, both of the coordinators for the Bengals were being poached. They were, they weren't having off season success and then once those coaches left, Marvin Lewis was left and he had nothing to work with. And the team ended up falling off the planet. And a lot of Bengals fans uh, wanted the team to, you know, promote Mike Zimmer, fire Marvin Lewis. Like that was the play. So I think here, like you have an opportunity to do that again. Yeah. I mean, you look at Dallas and their biggest asset, they're like, talent wise promotion wise is Dak Prescott. And so I think the reason for his success is because of Kellen Moore. And so honestly, if more of your success is tied to the guy who might, who is probably the most likely to leave the organization uh, by getting another job, I feel like maybe the Cowboys look at promoting Kellen Moore to head coach so that they can invest more in Dak and they can have their lead decision maker be a person that is more in tune with that side of, of the ball. Obviously, like I feel like it doesn't. I feel like you can't attribute the success of the Cowboys at all, really, to Mike McCarthy. It's with what they've been able to do on offense and what they've been able to do on defense. And so I feel like 
those assets are much more important than McCarthy. And so hundred percent, maybe, maybe it's just time. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, he came in, he made the CEO moves, got the guys, and now it's time for him to get up out of there. I think, I think they're going to be in a bad situation uh, if if they keep him and the team starts to slowly fall apart because you know as they start paying contracts and trying to keep all these players, uh, you know, Amari Cooper is not going to stay as Amari Cooper forever. Uh, you know, they're going to have to pay CD Lamb in the future. I don't know if they're going to be able to retain Michael Gallup. So it's like it's it's now like the window. The window is is here. Like your offensive line is good, and they're getting older. You know, it's it's now. You have to win now. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if they make any moves at all. Yeah, let's move on to the last two games of the Wild Card Weekend here. Uh, Kansas City blasted Pittsburgh, and Los Angeles uh, sent Arizona back to the desert. Uh, I Straight to the drawing board. Yeah, didn't really watch either of these games. I saw that Pittsburgh got up on KC early with a, I think it was a fumble touchdown. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. But I went to bed. And Kansas City, as they have done, kind of closed it out and uh, wished Ben Roethlisberger a happy retirement. Um, so I don't feel like there's a lot to take away in that game. Um, I, you know, it, the Steelers probably aren't the most competitive team uh, that could enter the field. But uh, on the other side, uh, you know, good for Stafford and the Rams for you know breaking through. Uh, Arizona to me is was totally like 2020 Pittsburgh. They got off to a really hot start. They were undefeated for longer than any other team. And then they just faded down the stretch and they kind of exited the playoffs with a whimper. And so um, I, I kind of wonder where Arizona is positioned to, you know, build from this season and uh, what they're able to do because uh, that division is, still super competitive and um, that's not going to be going away. And so they could very easily find themselves in the basement if Seattle is able to improve in uh, mm-hmm. Oh, a hundred percent. I think Arizona is, is kind of in an awkward spot right now because uh, you know, the big thing on, the, on them early in the season is, Oh, they have this great offense and it's not centered around Deandre Hopkins. Like they're doing all these things, getting so many receivers uh, you know, getting so many different receivers, into the game and like, you know, spreading the ball out and, and, you know, then they get to the playoffs against the Rams and, uh, and, you know, Odell Beckham has more passing yards than Kyler Murray by halftime. Um, and it was just, it was just a big flop and, and they have a lot of talent on their team, but it seems like, it seems like it's the wrong talent in the wrong spots. And I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, it's these older players that, you know, uh, it's, it's, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Like everybody was like, Oh yeah, well, you know, JJ Watt was hurt. Well, JJ Watt is always hurt. Like why sign JJ Watt knowing JJ Watt's always hurt? Like no shit. He's going to be hurt. You're going to, are you going to like blame the defense being bad against the run because the player that was supposed to be hurt is hurt, you know? And then on the offensive side of the ball, it was like, Oh, well they had AJ green at receiver. And it was like, well, they went out and got AJ green at receiver, even though they just drafted Rondell Moore and, and, and it, and Andy Isabel the year before while having Christian Kirk and DeAndre Hopkins. So it's like, they're not doing themselves any favors here. Um, and like, at some point you're going to have to question Cliff Kingsbury because like, here's another window where it's like, okay, well, once you pay Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins is like, he's just getting older too. So like, it's got to come quicker. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cam Akers, uh, for the Rams, you know, being able to come back from his injury and uh, looking good, uh, you know, good for him. You know, we talk about 
I'm, I'm kind of on the side of I wasn't really super excited that the NFL season expanded uh, by one game. But, you know, with this longer season, you know, we see we've seen Cam Akers come back from an injury. Uh, Derrick Henry, which we can talk about next, is coming back from an injury. And so, you know, maybe maybe in some cases like this, the longer season actually helps out because, you know, if yep. you are out with injury early, hopefully your team has enough assets to, you know, hold it down until you get back and uh, your team makes it to the playoffs. But uh, oh, yeah, let's. let's uh, Unless you don't, unless you have any other thoughts about the uh, the Rams, we can start talking about the divisional playoff round. Uh, first yeah, game it. is uh, Cincinnati going to Tennessee. I don't. I'm. I. I don't have a lot of confidence in the Titans. I don't feel like they deserve the one seed. I feel like they would have absolutely benefited more from playing last weekend. Oh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati is coming in with a lot of confidence and. I would be really worried if I was the Titans. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And it's not like the Titans have been looking like world beaters as of recently. I mean, they just barely beat the Texans to hold on to that one seed uh, in the final game of the season. Um, and, you know, prior to that, they had lost the Steelers down the stretch and um, yeah, they're playing better football on paper. They're getting Julio Jones involved, but you know, really in playoff football, it comes down to quarterback play Um and it comes down to possessions and like the Bengals being able to score as quickly as they can with, you know, Jamar chase and Tyler Boyd and T Higgins is spreading the ball out. Um, I think it's going to be tough for the Titans. And I think they're a little scared of this Bengals team right now as they should be. Um, but you know, this is the matchup that Bengals fans wanted. This was the exact playoff, yeah. the exact playoff run that, that they wanted to have. I mean, when, when I was looking at the playoff bracket and how it would, how it would, how it would work out, like this is the scenario that worked the best. It was like, okay, we get the four seed. Uh, we beat whoever's the five seed. And then we go to play in Nashville. Um, you know, I feel like they could have, I feel like the Titans could have benefited from playing last week rather than just sitting at home. Uh, I don't think they're going to come out as hot as the Bengals are going to be. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm really high on the Bengals this week and, and I guess we're just going to see what happens. Yeah. I'm really high on the Bengals as well. I just feel like their ceiling with Joe Burrow and the amount of confidence that he brings and, you know, presents to the whole team and how they feed off of his energy. I just feel like this team is it's going to take a big punch in the face for them to lose this game. But yep. let's talk ourselves let's talk ourselves into Tennessee really quick. How how does Tennessee win this game? Tennessee will come out on top if blank happens. Yeah, so Tennessee uh, can get after Joe Burrow with Harold Landry. Um, and, uh, you know, if they can apply some pressure on Joe Burrow, uh, I think it's, I think they can, you know, keep him a little contained on the offensive side of the ball. They're going to need to be able to run the ball with Derrick Henry, um, Julio Jones and AJ Brown, uh, could have some bigger games. Uh, these Bengals receiver, these Bengals cornerbacks are nothing, nothing too special. They're not very big. Um, so they're going to have a size advantage on the outside. Um, so it's really going to come down to if the Titans can score on their possessions, you know, you, you have to be able to score more than Joe Burrow can score. And part of that is scoring on every single possession. So, um, you know, don't, don't get down on possessions, don't punt the ball. Um, and I think that's kind of the recipe that the Titans need to follow. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely. I don't think that there's a scenario where 
Tennessee wins this game playing better than the Bengals, I think they're going to have to force uh, Joe Burrow into some mistakes in order to uh, win this game. Hundred uh, percent. Let's let's head up north. Uh, San Francisco is going up to the frozen tundra in Green Bay. Um, this game is at eight fifteen p.m. Saturday night on Fox. How are we feeling about Green Bay? I I am of the belief that this team is marching to the Super Bowl. I feel like this is the year for them. But San Francisco looked pretty good last week. Yeah, San Francisco is a tough matchup. I, I feel like, you know, the Bengals are the team of the AFC where nobody wants to play against. Um, I feel like that's that rings true for the 49ers and the NFC as well. Uh, just because of how physical they are, they can run the ball, they can throw the ball. All their players are so dynamic, especially Debo Samuel. Um, I think they're just a really tough matchup for really any team. Um, and the thing about playing against the Packers is, um, you know, the 49ers haven't lost the Packers in recent memory. Like, like they're the Packers Achilles heel. Yeah. And, um, you know, if the Packers get up on the 40, I mean, if the 49ers get up on the Packers, I think it's going to be really tough for Aaron Rodgers because he's not like a rah-rah guy that can pull his team together like a Brady or a Burrow. Like yeah. he's going he's gonna to start whining. He's going to start complaining. Um, yeah. I, I feel like the pack, I feel like in order for the Packers to win this game, they're going to have to get up early. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's got to be because uh, I think San Francisco could sit on a lead. I think both of these teams could sit on a lead and be fine. Um, and right. I just feel like whoever comes out really, I don't really feel like there's a situation where the other team comes back. Um, 100%. But, uh, it's going to be cold, but I think that kind of benefits the 49ers. Uh, you know, Trey, Trey Lance is a Minnesota kid. I'm not sure if he's healthy, but maybe maybe the uh, maybe the Midwest guy is forced into action if uh, situations uh, if conditions weren't, which is, is a is a little storyline that I'm watching. Um, so yep. let's go over to the other matchup in the NFC: uh, L.A. Rams, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I am super interested in this game. I think it's going to be a very competitive game. Uh, these two teams played at the beginning of the season. Tampa went out to L.A and uh, LA beat them. So now, uh, ironically, having that head-to-head win, uh, Tampa still got the two seed, and so LA is going down to Tampa. Like I said, I feel like Green Bay is going to march to the Super Bowl. So I'm very interested to see whoever Green Bay has to play coming out of this game, and I think this game is going to be super competitive. Oh, yeah, 100% agree. I think this is really the game of the NFC champion. I'm not incredibly high on the Packers right now. I just think with, with Aaron Rodgers, like in this, and I think this goes into partially why he hasn't won more Super Bowls and won at a high level is like just in the playoffs when he gets down, like he just doesn't like his teams just aren't resilient enough to like come back and play well. And I think that's part of the reason why they struggle in the playoffs. Um, and I just, I'm really liking the way that this Rams team is playing. I like the Buccaneers just because I think Brady against Rodgers is the better matchup. Um, so I really think this is the big game here. Um, I think they match up well against each other. These are two very good defenses, um, some great quarterback play. We have some good wide receiver play, albeit there's some injuries on the Buccaneers uh, receiving core. Um so I think this is going to be an interesting game. I think I'm going to give the Rams an edge just because they're a little more healthy um, in their skill position. Yeah, I, I can get behind that. Obviously, we saw a couple offensive linemen go down with injuries uh, for Tampa Bay in their game against Philly. Um, and I just also kind of wonder how the Rams are going to – honestly, kind of both of these California teams uh, 
traveling very far distances, San Fran to Green Bay and LA to Tampa. I'm just kind of wondering how they're going to travel, you know, if they're going to get off the plane a little groggy or if they're going to get up for this game. So uh, I'm kind of following that as well um, mm-hmm. as an aspect to these uh, two NFC matchups. Uh, let's go to uh, Buffalo at Kansas City, the final game of the divisional round. Uh, it will be 6.30 p.m. Sunday night. Um, I think this is going to be a good game. We saw Buffalo beat go into Kansas City already once this year, so they should go in with confidence that they can win this game and win in this stadium. But what I will point out is, you know, last – like Buffalo is going into this game hot, and I just want to say this. Whenever Buffalo loses in the postseason, it's ugly. Yes. Like, remember the – It's the, bad. You know, the, the, the game last year where there were those cheap shots – at the end of the game and Buffalo really came off the rails and then their wildcard game two years ago, where everybody was kind of joking, like, Hey, maybe Josh Allen was hammered at the end of that game. Yeah. Cause that was crazy. And so like, I'm just saying that because I feel like whenever it ends for the bills playoffs, it's going to be ugly. And so I think it's good for them that they have already beaten this team this year. Um, and I could really see this game going both ways. And I feel like if Buffalo wins this game, that is truly the changing of the guard on the uh, AFC side in this uh, postseason. My my question for you, because I, I think a lot of people are going to have different answers for this. If all things equal, Bur- uh, Mahomes playing the best that he can and Allen playing at the highest level that he can, uh, who is the better team? Like, is it, when Allen is like unstoppable, is it the Bills or is it when Mahomes is unstoppable that it's the that it's the Chiefs? I hope I hope we get the answer to that question. I hope that this game is a shootout. I hope it is a both teams play very well, and whoever has the ball at the end of the game is going to win. Um, but you know, we've seen Pat, we've seen uh, Patrick Mahomes play like this more consistently, and you know maybe you know, maybe the way that Josh Allen played against the Patriots was just the massive exercising of the Patriot demons. Like maybe right. that, maybe that won't carry over, but I feel like there's more potential for Josh Allen to get the best of Patrick Mahomes in a game like this, just because maybe we haven't seen his best as consistently as we, you know, you know what you're going to get most of the time from Patrick Mahomes in games like this. And so right. I feel like, he would be my my belief to to play better in this game, but we have to see if uh, Josh Allen continues uh, th- the success that he's had in the first playoff game. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of split on this one. I I think all things being equal, I think I might take Josh Allen over Mahomes just because like when Josh Allen is like running outside of the pocket and and he's running downfield and he's making these insane throws and. Uh, his pinpoint accuracy when it's like when it's at its best, like I think it's just unstoppable. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like he made that Patriots defense last week look horrendous. And that was like consensusly like one of the best defenses in the NFL. Yeah. Um, this Chiefs defense is not the Patriots defense at all. Like, despite the media narrative, they are not. Their secondary is horrendous. They gave up what uh 266 receiving yards to Jamar Chase, like. I think if Allen is playing at the same level that he's playing last week, I think even if Mahomes is playing at his best, I think this, I think this is the Bills win. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I could totally see that, and uh, I think that would be, you know, a disappointing end of the season for Kansas City, but uh, obvious areas for them to improve uh, to uh, run it back in twenty twenty two. Oh, one hundred percent. 
I definitely, you know, I really hope all these games are competitive because on paper they look like they're going to be, you know, very competitive uh, postseason NFL games. And, uh, you know, as football fans, that is, that is what, that is what we hope for. So, yep. uh, let's jump over to the spinning coaching carousel really quick. We're just going to do a little surface level evaluation of these open jobs. We can, uh, we're planning on diving into them a little more on a later podcast, you know, kind of once, once the postseason settles down a little bit, yep. we also, we're also going to be focusing more on draft coverage here after the Super Bowl. We're not going to be really getting back to our pick six and our prospects uh, evaluations until after the Super Bowl when there's a, uh, you know, less games to talk about. So, but let's, let's run through these uh, coaching, coaching openings really quick. Uh, obviously Vegas is open. They very well could hire their interim coach, uh, Rich Basaka. Denver is open. Jacksonville is open. Miami, Chicago, Minnesota, um, the New York Giants, and the Houston Texans are all open. Um, just on the surface here, what sticks out to you on this list of uh, just who you, who you think are candidates, what you think is like a good opening versus a bad opening, a place that you'd want to go, place you wouldn't want to go? Like what, what is this list? I'll give you the I'll give you the place I want to go as well as the place uh, I don't want to go. Um, so starting off, uh, the place that I would want to go, I have I have two um, that I'm eyeballing right now. I would want to go to Jacksonville, um, and I'd want to go to Houston. Um, and the reason I say that, and everybody's going to be like, "Dude, Houston, what do you mean?" Um, I I think you know with the capital that Houston has that they've acquired. Um, even with all the stuff going on with Deshaun Watson and the off the field stuff, um, I think their roster is actually not as bad as people think. And I think they could make some moves in the future uh, to bring in some good players down the road and they don't have cap problems. Now the other teams on this list have some serious cap concerns. You talk about the giants have Kenny Galladay for another two years and he didn't catch one touchdown this past year. Uh, the bears have an, have an extremely bad cap situation as well with a lot of older players that aren't adding value right now with the terrible offensive line that's leaving Justin Fields for dust, not to mention Justin Fields hasn't exactly looked all that great this season. Um, Minnesota's in the same boat, terrible cap situations all around. You have a star receiver and you have to win now and you don't have a quarterback that can really take you there. Um, so, you know, I like Jacksonville as well because of Trevor Lawrence. And I mean, I understand that people think that Jacksonville is this horrendous franchise, um, but we've seen Jacksonville have some success in the playoffs. They did it in the early 2000s when they were formed as a franchise. And, you know, I think they can do it again. They did it in the late uh, 2010s uh, with those, you know, strong defenses when they beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Um, You know, I think Jacksonville will be okay. And they showed at the end of the season that they can play good football on occasion, but they were in a terrible situation with Urban Meyer. Um, They have a lot of money to work with and they get Travis Etienne next year. So, um, yeah, I think it's not as bad of a job as you think. Like I've seen some lists where they have, you know, Houston and Jacksonville all the way at the bottom. And I just I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I think when you're looking at uh, these jobs and what you're going into in terms of what's in the cupboard, um, I Honestly, one of the more interest uh, jobs I'm more interested in is the Minnesota job because, like you talked about, they have a star receiver. They have arguably a star running back if he can stay healthy in Dalvin Cook. Um, the defense is aging a little bit, and you you have pieces, but your quarterback is Kirk Cousins, and you can't really move him. So, you know, I envision a situation where you know maybe Lane Kiffin gets out of Ole Miss, 
Lane Kiffin goes to the Vikings. Uh, Lane Kiffin's college quarterback, Matt Corral, is available in the draft. Like, the Vikings with literally anybody else are so much more exciting than them with Kirk Cousins. 100%. And, like, how cool would it be for a guy like Matt Corral to go into that offense and just be throwing bombs to Justin Jefferson? And it's like, I want – I, I, you know, the Vikings being good does not do anything for me as a Lions fan, but I just feel like with the pieces they have, it doesn't, it's not going to take much for them to turn that corner. And obviously there yep. are concerns on defense with a lot of their stars, you know, aging and um, their cap concerns, but I'm, I'm interested in the, in the Vikings. And, you know, we talked about the Raiders already and uh, I'm also, I'm also really interested in the Broncos. I think the Broncos are probably the most attractive job. If you're, if you're a head uh, coaching candidate, I think the Broncos definitely look like one of the more appealing destinations. Yeah. I think one thing that the Vikings could do is trade Kirk cousins. Like, you know, say they hire in another, another coach that wants to be aggressive uh, drafting a quarterback. Like they could straight up trade Kirk cousins, um, trade them to a team that like needs a quarterback right now. I mean, you could trade them to Houston, you could trade them to Denver, uh, you could trade them to uh, the Panthers, um, the Steelers are another one too. Like that would get be an them. interesting place. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Like get them out and 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 you know restart and and draft a quarterback. Like I think that's the move. But um, yeah. if they plan on keeping him, I'm not I'm not as high on on uh, on the Vikings. Uh, yeah. But you know, honestly, the only the only really the only ba- the only jobs I don't I wouldn't want to take. Um, if I'm a head coach in the NFL are the bears and, um, and the giants, those are the two for me, because I think the bears have a lot of inherent problems right now with their roster and their cap situation. That's going to be tough for them. And I think they're not really sold on Justin Fields either. Like it's not like he came out and played exceptional football this year. Um, he missed a lot of throws. Like he didn't look, he didn't look fantastic. Like we saw Joe Burrow behind an awful offensive line last year in Cincinnati. And he looked awesome. Like he looked amazing. And we think that Justin Fields is more mobile than Joe Burrow. And he was behind also a terrible line and he looked nothing near close. Um, so I don't like that situation right now. I also don't like the giants because like, you know, like I said about Kenny Galladay and the cap situation, but you also have Daniel Jones still there. Um, that has just hasn't taken the step, just still very mediocre. And then you have Saquon Barkley that like hasn't played great football since his rookie year. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what do you do with that? So um, yeah, just not confident about those two teams. Yeah. And this is why I continue to believe while there are no clear cut first round quarterback prospects, we talk about so many of these teams that are going to have new head coaches they have pieces on offense. They have pieces on defense. There, are, People are going to talk themselves into these quarterbacks because they think they're a quarterback away. Like, you're trying to tell me that the guys, the, the guy coming into Denver doesn't think maybe his team is a quarterback away from contention. The defense is good. The offense has so much skill talent. If you just get the right guy under center, that team could, like, it's, it's a deep, like, and this is why I think, you know, where you're going to see somebody reach for a quarterback that has no business being in the top 10 or 15. And like, that's why like you and I, we focus so much on these quarterbacks because they could be a second round pick, but they're not going to be picked in the second round. And that's just so interesting to me, the psychology of these organizations who believe 
maybe they're in a position that nobody else really thinks they are where they're going to, they're going to go up and get Carson strong or Sam Howell a lot earlier than anybody else. And, I mean, you know, we've, we've seen that work out for teams in the past, but it's, it continues to be a quarterback league and there's, there are, there are guys every year and people are going to reach. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, just think about right now, like, do you think the Panthers would pass on a quarterback in this draft? I don't think so. There, there's, there's not a quarterback that I immediately like, you know, I look at Denver and I could totally talk myself into Sam Howell being in that offense. I could totally talk myself into Kenny Pickett being in that office. I could really, I, re, I really think the Kenny Pickett to Pittsburgh thing makes too much sense. I think Pittsburgh needs yeah. to go up and like they share facilities. Like, I feel like you can almost lock that, lock that in right now. Like, yep. like I can talk myself into a new quarterback in Denver. I can talk myself into a new quarterback in Minnesota, but I just, some of these other like Carolina, there's not an immediate name that jumps out to me. Like, yeah, and but, I mean, you know, I, I, but, actually, but I, hold on, no, like Sam Howell, you could get, you can go get Sam Howell. That makes a little sense geographically, but like they're I mean, even I Malik know. Willis, even Malik Willis coming from Liberty to go play for yeah, you know, and he's and he could be like uh you know the heir to uh, the Cam Newton era. Um, yeah, I could I could totally see that. I think we're gonna be really surprised come come draft season but i think the interesting thing about this draft is while there's not like an elite uh quarterback at the top of the draft there are a ton of elite players in the first round like i think this first round is absolutely loaded um like loaded loaded like i think teams in the 20s are gonna be getting like like superstar level players um and with so many teams pushing for quarterbacks early that's gonna have that's gonna make a lot of players drop that in a normal draft would not be dropping out of the top 10. So I'm, I'm excited. I think it's going to be a fun, and I think it's gonna be a fun draft season for sure. I mean, we have, we have some time to, to debate and there's going to be a lot of mock drafts. We have a lot to go over, you know, obviously the combine and everything, but it's going to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. We can uh, definitely want to do some deep dives on a lot of these rosters and figure out, uh, you know, like there's really not like we could talk about the Houston Texans for an hour. Oh yeah. Not even if we wanted to just naturally. So we could uh, talk, we could talk ourselves into thinking that Davis bills was a top three quarterback in his rookie class. Oh yeah. And that's a hell of a discussion, but you got anything else? No, I I don't have anything. I think uh, we're definitely setting up uh, to put out a lot of good stuff here in the next few months. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I think we're, I think we're on the right track and we're going to get more consistent and, uh, and better with our content delivery for sure. So we'll get after it. All right. Till next time. Catch you guys.